what is the ideal profile of a CEO uh, in the current board? Someone who is in touch with reality in knows about the big questions of this time and uh, for instance knows about all the issues that we we see at the world economic forum uh, but is also in touch with uh, movements in society uh, so that um, he knows to bridge that is an ideal uh, ceo and in the company it is someone uh, who who walks the talk and do that together with um, her or his people um, and is engaged. Welcome to another episode of The Brand Culture, a podcast and video show which brings you leadership lessons, knowledge, experience, and wisdom from hundreds of successful people around the world. If you're new to the channel, please subscribe and hit the bell icon. I'm your host, Fritz Bessemaker, and today I'm delighted and privileged to have a conversation with Professor Annemiek Robeck. Annemiek, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Fritz. Allow me to introduce uh, Annemiek. Uh, she's a professor of strategy and transformation management at Nairobi Business University. She's also the youngest pro female professor ever in the Netherlands for technology and economy. Now, she does uh, international comparative research, such as an EU project on innovation and sustainability, is a regular speaker with institutes like INSEAD and Fontainebleau, is member of supervisory boards like the with the Dutch ABN AMRO Bank, World Dutch uh, Airlines, uh, energy company Ineco, EBIT, but is also an entrepreneur and founder of companies like Meeting More Minds and Grow Next. So again, Annemiek, welcome to the show. No, thank you so much, Fritz. Yeah. Uh, very happy to yeah. to be in this in this program yeah. now in my introduction uh, i mentioned you are the youngest female professor um how did that help you or how did that actually stop you from doing things mm, good question well in, in 1989 uh, perhaps you can recall uh, but that was really a time when the new technologies came up and I started already at the end of the 70s working on uh, the new techno-economic paradigm and combining technologies. And I was very active in writing future scenarios. And my background is international relations, economics and, and political science. Uh, so I could see things much more from a systemic point of view. And I think that particularly at the end of the 80s, there was a time uh, where um, much more openness came for new insights. And I got uh, this uh, first uh, position of uh, a chair of uh, technology and economy in the Netherlands, although I was 29. Uh, but I had done already many things. Um, uh, and I think that it, it has helped me a lot. Um, I've never been afraid saying what I have as a vision because I always can underpin it with analysis and therefore I'm the researcher. Uh, but I'm also the woman who is on a mission and wants to put concepts into action. And, and that action research, that's what I very much uh, started also with uh, my, my first chair uh, as a professor for technology and economy, but later on also as a professor for metropolitan affairs 
and therefore my uh, my love for mega cities um, but also the complexity uh, part uh, for which I had a chair at the University of Amsterdam. Uh, I'm still at Nairoda for strategy and transformation management and um, and I love to to have the combination of on the one hand um, thinking and working on the big vision but also to translate that into action so that entrepreneurs or NGOs or people in society can work with it. And therefore I speak a lot as well uh, to, uh, to sharpen my mind, but also to engage with others. Did I just uh, hear you explain what that mission is you uh, alluded to, to share that experience? Yeah, well, I think that if you, if you look at the current, uh, at, at the red current in my career, um, you can always see that it is on innovation. So don't be afraid of what is new, uh, but know what you can do with it and how these new possibilities can fit to big problems. And therefore, for me, innovation and sustainability are two parts of the same coin. Uh, so even when I did my PhD in the 80s, I, I worked on, you know, what are these systemic problems uh, uh, in terms of um, uh, sustainability, but also uh, is mass production the answer or is it causing so many problems? Or fossil energy, is that... Um, um, is that an enabler or is that in fact causing more problems as we saw uh, and, and see every day right now with climate change? Uh, and, and I think that um, my mission is indeed to, um, to, to start the dialogue, to start the dialogue on these big issues and then to ask the questions, because that's the dialogue, Mm -hmm. to ask the questions and to have the conversation, but also because you do research with your teams, also to test out life, um, the potential of the solutions you have in mind, and then how to do that with other people, because the questions are too big to, uh, to work on a solution on your own. So what I'm hearing you saying is it's great to have your head in the clouds to be a oh, thinker, yeah. but you also have to have your feet in the mud. You have to do it. So you Absolutely. have to combine that. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, you, uh, I was wondering, as a professor of strategy and transformation management, um, at the moment, uh, we see the world um, experiencing uh, quite a big change. The World Economic Forum calls this the fourth industrial wave. Um, how significant is this change according to you? And actually, what triggered it? Where did it come from? Yeah, well, I think the trigger is already going on for more than 25 years. Mm -hmm. uh, and in fact, we are already in a transition mm -hmm. for more than 25 years. You are an expert in, in digital uh, transformation yourself. Uh, and, um, and you've seen that, you've experienced that, you have been a catalyzer for that as well. Uh, but what makes it different right now is that we are now in a, in a period of time where many of, let's say, transitions that go on already for 20, 25 years come together in a very short period of time. And Corona is only, um, you know, it, it is a kind of amplifier, but it was there already 
all these transitions. But when these things come together, then you get the big jump, and that's the transformation. And that, that's why it is so interesting to, um, from a strategic point of view, that from a strategy point of view, you can look forward, but you know what was behind you. Um, so you know in what kind of transitions you are, and from a strategy point of view, you know when to jump. And now we have to jump. We have to jump in terms of climate change, uh, energy, type of productions, the way we produce things, uh, circularity, healthy society, um, how we organize education, how we reorganize settings of work, how ways of work, all these things come together. Yeah, And it's on a global scale. And that's the transformation we're in right now. That sounds quite scary with so much changing uh, that you, I mean, I, I can imagine that organizations, CEOs, I know you're a member of a number of advisory boards, uh, I would be quite scared and concerned if I were them with all those changes. So what do you see happening in your env um, environment? Yeah, well, I, I think here also leadership comes around the corner. Um, here you see uh, a big shift. Um, on the one hand, uh, for instance, uh, I would say the, the newly appointed CEO of Eneco, uh, the energy company where I'm on the non-executive board, um, he is someone, I would say, you know, with that, with that new vision, and the creativity to work with partly the existing team to go for a one planet plan that goes much farther than any energy company in the world you know uh, and at the same time i also see companies and and many ceos who think oh well perhaps not now perhaps in a few years uh uh let's let's call it a transition uh, and let's postpone. But in times of transformation, you can't postpone. Then you're out. Because your people know that you're not doing the right thing. Because okay. CEOs have to rely on their people. And the people are, are people who are all, all knowledgeable. You know, you, you can't say, well, these were, uh, these were people who know. Um, in, in modern companies, um, the people who work there have more knowledge than the CEO. And they feed the CEO. And if the CEO is not taking up all these signals that are there already from a longer time, it's not the right CEO. And if that CEO is, is not able to make the jump and oversee the systemic changes that have to occur at the same time, he's not the right leader. Because he cannot engage with the subject let alone with these people. If you are a CEO uh, and you're, you're describing the situation, um, how often do you see a CEO being honest and realize, look, I'm not the right person anymore for this job? Not so often. Yeah. Uh, but there we also have responsibility as non-executive members. So the supervisory board, also has a role in this, you know, that we have to, um, uh, we are responsible for the long-term view. Mm -hmm. And we have to see whether uh, the CEO, but also members in the board, uh, the executive committee, whether they are capable of fulfilling the tasks, particularly in this period of time. And sometimes then you have to take 
harsh decisions. Yeah. Okay, so what does it take? What is the ideal profile of a CEO uh, in the current board? Someone who is in touch with reality in knows about the big questions of this time and uh, for instance knows about all the issues that we we see at the world economic forum uh, but is also in touch with uh, movements in society uh, so that um, he knows to bridge that is an ideal uh, ceo and in the company it is someone uh, who who walks the talk and do that together with um, her or his people um, and is engaged. So it's not only this is the strategy, but let's work on the execution and we need you to make that happen. And if that latter part is not there or if the person is not able to connect, then it's not the right leader for this transformational time. Okay, so it is about engaged leadership. That's the future. Yes, yeah. And engaged leadership is not only for the CEO. It is, in fact, engagement um, is an extremely important capability or skill uh, for which you need to collaborate, to network, to have an open mind, to uh, work cross silo, uh, to connect people in your company and outside and inside um, from the different lines. And in fact, to do that in a 3D, 3D mode. And I think that is um, uh, what we ask. Very often you see that people in the organization, particularly knowledge workers um, and, and, and younger people know much better how to do this. Um, whereas sometimes you think that people in the the higher they come, the more they have to learn how to do this. Now, I read somewhere in an article that you speak of a new role which the organization needs, um, a, the Weber. The Weber, yes. Uh, yeah. Can you please uh, ex expand on it? What is a Weber? Is that what you just described? Well, no. The, the Weber is... Um, uh, um, I developed the word Weber when I worked on networking already in the late late. 80s mm -hmm. and uh, the networks of networks um, uh, go over into ecosystems and that is something what you see coming up in the 90s um, and then companies don't want it and now it is uh, extremely in uh, to talk about uh, ecosystems but what is essential in in developing networks and networks of networks into ecosystems is that you have People in the organization doesn't need to be the CEO, uh, preferably not the CEO, but that you have uh, several people in the organization and sometimes also people from outside who are able to connect, connect content with um, with people, with uh, human capacities, who connect um, the ideas with the execution, who can lead not one project, but several at the same time, much more in a programmatic uh, way, so that you can make that systems change. And the Weber is, uh, is someone who is a, what I call a horizontal networking leader, because it is not a hierarchy, it is someone who needs to work 
with the different levels in a horizontal way. What makes it special, um, the role of the Weber, is that the Weber is not only, let's say, the busy bee, uh, from uh, working with a content, but also with a strategic view, but he or she or the group has direct access to the top um, because they have a mandate, a mandate to operate. And very often when you compare it with just a project leader, then a project leader may do one thing. Okay. But here you work on big questions with many parties and then you need mandate. And not to go back for everything. And a very important role of the Weber, and that's also why uh, he or she is also a diplomat, is that he or she can de-escalate. And that means that the, the, the top can go on and, and work with each other, but the execution is guaranteed. And that is very important, certainly if you know that more than 80% of strategy is never executed. Can you learn this or is this more an attitude, a, 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 somebody, a part of somebody's character? Well, it's, it's an interesting question, Fritz, um, because when I explain it, for instance, uh, um, during my lectures at Nijenrode, then there are always people so happy when they say, oh, but that's what I do. But I didn't know the word for it. Uh, so it is, it is something, you know, that people do who already are in that mindset of networking and ecosystems and, and organizing the big changes. Yeah. Um, and I can imagine by giving it the label, you empower people, hey, I'm yes, being recognized exactly. for what I do. Yeah, but at the same time, you have to learn some of the skills. And for instance, for one uh, very large um, international financial player uh, based in the Netherlands, um, um, we did a program where we learned the skills for engagement leaders, but they are partly based on what do you need as a Weber. So um, what is the networking? Networking is not just giving your business card, but working with each other on something that has a meaning. Uh, and um, collaboration inside, outside, thinking uh, beyond the uh, silos and not to be afraid to do something where, um, where you work together with others, where your manager has nothing to say about. Yeah? Um, so that's the empowerment you uh, addressed earlier. But also um, uh, being the connection between the often very general lines of strategy uh, put on paper, often by external advisors and then uh, reproduced by the CEO and then doing the execution. And what we did there was empower people um, throughout the world. It was a worldwide project we did in the past three quarter of years. Um, but we empower the people uh, with management on my side as a co-host, as a kind of session as, as we do now, but uh, as a co-host, to engage people to come up with those, let's say, strategic projects that could be executed in the different regions of the world, but that would add up to the execution of the entire strategy. And that was fantastic. And it still is fantastic. Uh, you just answered oh, already a question I had. I think oh, you answered it. Uh, no, no, no worries. Uh, in the sense, I was wondering about uh, culture, cultural differences. You see yeah. around the world different leadership styles. Uh, yeah. Does culture? How, how does culture play an impact? 
Yeah, it's a good question because um, uh, it's not one size fits all. At the same time, you know, what we did is that all the participants, uh, and these were about 200 in this project um, from all over the world, they got regional um, assessments. So assessments were 80% of what we tested was more or less the same, but 20% was specific for those parts of the world, taking into, into account the, um, the cultural differences, mm -hmm. but also to, um, to award that and not to say, well, everything is equal. No, we, we, we think that it's important. Um, so for instance, for the uh, Asia Pacific, um, it is uh, very important to, um, to think less in hierarchies hmm? mm -hmm. and really to open up for collaboration. But they are so good in innovation. And when you then stress the innovative part, then the other elements uh, come as well. Whereas, for instance, in the Americas, um, uh, you, um, you touch up other elements. And, and in, in Europe, uh, the EMEA part, uh, we know that collaboration is easier. It's, it is more or less a thing what we easier can do. Uh, and in in the US, it's really uh, the, the top says that we uh, think in tasks, whereas innovation is not a task. It is an um, uh, it, it is a collective uh, um, a challenge. Uh, and, and these kind of things you can test before. Um, and that's also what we did so that we were sure that we had the right people in the project as um, the future engagement leaders. Okay, now knowing the, knowing the future of this uh, show, uh, they were probably very interested in uh, results of this research. The, uh, is there anything where people can read up on that? Yeah, well, we are now um, uh, writing some articles, but also some interviews are done. And uh, I would say, um, uh, look at our website, Meeting More Minds, and um, um, you will certainly learn more from it. Yeah. Great. And that's actually a nice uh, bridge to uh, another part of your background, because so far we've talked about your role as a professor, as an academic, uh, the supervisory role, uh, but you're also an entrepreneur yourself. And... Um, um, well, we happen to know each other from uh, years ago when you founded Meeting More Minds, and I was yeah. found that a fascinating company because it was so ahead of its time. Uh, mm -hmm. Can you explain to the audience a little bit what Meeting More Minds is? Yeah, well, Meeting More Minds is um, it's a smaller organization, an advisory, but it's specialized in developing networks around innovative or novel um, activities with more than one business. So it really is about networking and going beyond your own um, because the underlying thought is um, innovation is a collaborative action uh, and you can learn from each other when you work with each other, when you invest into each other. Um, so meeting more minds was indeed having that open mind and work with each other um, and, and that's also what we still do today. So we, we, we were founded in 1999 and um, we see that, that our ideas uh, and also the evidence we produced in, in the past decades is really uh, paying off right now because 
it seems that the majority of let's say business or even public sector thinks ah oh, this is really what we need now yes but we I think Meeting of Minds was really the front runner for networking and developing ecosystems um, uh, long before it became en vogue. Um, but yeah. we know how and why and what you need to do. And I think putting things in practice um, and not only staying in the ivory tower is, is really what I am and what I would like to uh, keep doing. Yeah. And but also what I hear you say, advising any entrepreneur out there, any academic out there, do both to put yeah. it in practice. Yeah. yeah, I think that's what I very much like about Nine Road, that they, um, that they very much uh, uh, want us not only to, to think and, and lecture about uh, uh, academic concepts, or, but also to, um, to be active in the yeah. field. Feet in the mud. Now, I know you've set up a number of organizations. Uh, what was the latest endeavor? What is the latest endeavor? Um, that's Grow Next. And, Grow Next. Uh, what Grow does Next. that do? Grow Next is, in fact, reinventing plant science with artificial intelligence, machine learning, and image recognition. And doing that with the latest technologies, um, we develop... Um, beautiful um, uh, growth modules mm -hmm. that are really a jewel when you have them, for instance, in your um, hotel reception or in your hospital when people come in or uh, in, in, in an office building. And what you see is that extremely, in fact, a new, a novel kind of greens with many, many vitamins, minerals, and proteins are growing there just in front of your eyes. And then within meters, you will get it on your plate. And then the nice thing is you don't need to eat much of it because it is so rich yeah. that you get all the natural nutrients um, uh, inside your body without any... Um, pesticide or, or anything else it's pure nature but grown in the most digital way as possible i said i have to get my head around this uh using ai to grow plants can you yeah. explain to the answer just a little bit and also to me how <laughs> how do you use ai to grow a plant well um with ai we can detect much better what the growth phases are a plant goes through. Okay. And very often in traditional plant science, you say, well, there are four growth phases. And with AI, you have a lens where you see things much better, closer. Mm -hmm. And why is that important? Because there are tens of, uh, of dozens of, um, of growth phases and what we can do with the latest um, uh, LED technology for lighting, combined with um, the nutrients uh, to feed the water uh, in these hydroponic systems, we can make what we call dynamic digital recipes. Therefore, we need AI, but we also have to learn the computer to work with the input of the AI about the growth of the plant. And with the image recognition, what we do um, is that we um, 
we also can more or less uh, virtually see the growing of the plants and the health of the plants and the happiness of the plants. When you combine these technologies, you have a new core to redefine plant science. So, um, uh, and that's what we do in an integrated IoT system. And that uh, IoT system is of course connected to the cloud. And in, um, in the coming decade, you will see um, many thousands of places where you have these beautiful growth rooms, these mm -hmm. growth modules, looks nice. And people uh, get their food uh, in, a, in a very healthy way without distribution, without uh, damaging the earth, uh, with a very low uh, food imprint, so it's very sustainable, but it's also an answer to safety and security. Uh, and, um, and that is new, and that was not possible 10 years ago, because now we can make the combinations of uh, the, uh, the technologies from AI to light, uh, but we um, see also that I just got a, um, a mail this before we had this talk of someone uh, working at um, airports, mm -hmm. catering for airports. And he said, this is so important. But now we can feed mega cities and we can show people all over the world that healthy food is just available, accessible. And I think that's extremely interesting to to work on you know it's one of the big questions i had where i combine many of the areas of science where i worked in and this is feeding mega cities uh, it's combining my knowledge about metropolitan affairs my technology part uh, my my societal part uh, and the complexity part it all comes together and we do it with in an ecosystem with many parties, uh, from the green tech up to finance, from the hospitality up to the AI uh, community. And this is really the, the, um, the collaborative action to, uh, to give the world something I, I think we need. This is where Meeting More Minds came, uh, comes to life. Yeah, well, Meeting More Minds was in fact the incubator yeah. for Gronext. Yeah, and Gronext is the uh, spit out of meeting more minds, yeah. But we could never do this if we if we could not think big and if we could not connect to so many parties and if we could not get the opportunity to speak, you know, and to, 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 to go on stage and to have the dialogues mm -hmm. and to sharpen the mind. Uh, but we got, um, as, as, as I said, we, we got the... Um, um, AI for Good Award for the food track. Uh, yeah, the AI uh, for Good has been set up by the ITU, the International Telecom Union of the United uh, Nations. Yeah, exactly. Well, congratulations, well done. Yeah, yeah, and, and it was a fantastic experience for the anti-GrowNext team uh, because we got a lot of support from, from all these experts, you know, from the universities, but also from uh, the big companies, um, from the Danones to the, the Googles, uh, the Microsofts, um, also the John Hopkins uh, University. Really very interesting and also, you know, challenging. Um, but we also got rewards for our R&D um, efforts for the uh, dynamic digital recipes um, for a totally new kind of robotic uh, arm we are now developing uh, for our modules. Um, and we call her the ballerina. And I think that's also the feminization of technology.
I am certain you have touched upon so many topics where I'm certain people want to know much, much more about. Oh, happy to talk about that. Okay. Unfortunately, we're at the end of the show. Uh, so, Anamik, I'm really, really honored and want to thank you for sharing your insights. Uh, as an academic, uh, we need engaged leadership. Uh, companies should look at what a Weber can do for their organization. And uh, you've demonstrated some great, great examples as an entrepreneur helping to uh, improve the world. So, Anamik, thank you for, so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website www.tbcy.in to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.